Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga Podcast. I'm your host Manu Veth. He's Stefan Bienkowski, and also now joining us full time for an undisclosed transfer free on before, like after he was previously on loan with Gegenpressing, Matt Ford. Matt, uh, exciting news! You're full time now with this. Um, I want to say congrats, but I don't think you know what you've gotten yourself into. So, how's it going? I mean, it's a free transfer, tra free transfer, but I'm looking forward to the bonus payments, which you promised me. Uh, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they'll come through. I think he's on a um, he's on a navigator pay per play deal, so we'll see how long it lasts. Hopefully, no dodgy injuries. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I hope your hands are not made out of uh, glass or paper. Or there's some some English term that Chris Williams always used to use. Um, something that cracks easily. I I can't remember, but I hope you. Constitution is better than Matt. <laughs> I hope so too. Although I was particularly, uh, particularly good on Saturday night in Darmstadt. It was freezing. Yeah. I saw the pictures. It looked cold. Um, didn't, felt felt bad for anyone who was there. Um, sorry, Matt. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on. Um, and of course, now that you are a full-time member of the team, people are going to read uh, you frequently. I mean, you've already done quite a bit in, in recent months. Um, we're going to have um, you feature now every week, which is great. Obviously, there's still going to be the, the extra uh, match report when one of us is at a game. And, um, you know, Stefan, you did a really good job outlining the way um, content is going to be looking like moving forward. We, we binned the Monday bulletin because now we have Matt with full-time content, right? Um, so... Slightly different going forward. Um, want to add too that if there is major breaking news, like you know we have done in the past, like when I covered Harry Kane on location, for example, or Max Eberl, or so it happens to join Bayern Munich, um, that kind of stuff is going to be still covered with with an extra piece of content um, if it if it warrants or if it's big enough of a story. So, yeah, not too much change going forward. Most of our full time subscribers should be used to it. If you are not a subscriber. This might be a good time to do it, guys. Um, this is the free podcast. You get a lot of extra content if you do subscribe. You get uh, three articles a week, two bonus podcasts on top of that. Um, so go check that out. Um, and, and, Barry, and you get this you get this very show without annoying adverts. Oh, speaking of adverts. This uh, episode of the Game Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. With the playoffs in full swing and the NBA season in full swing, BetOnline has you covered with all the up-to-second odds, news and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get into the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use promo code BELIEF, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEF, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Better line where the game starts. Yeah, um, let's start with this match day. This is the this is of course the big recap uh, show. We have a lot to discuss, um, and I'm going to try to do it in chronological order because I've been accused of not always doing that, Stefan. Um, so I'm gonna do <laughs> try to be on my best behavior today, um, and I want to start with the the Bayern um, Bayern Hoffenheim game. Stefan, we talked on the previous show that um, we suspect Bayern will be on their best behavior. The result says they were. Um, and I think that they did see the game out in very convincing fashion. But there was a time, and, and Matt, I think you and I talked a little bit about it during the game, um, where Hoffenheim looked like they could come back. 
um, Maximilian Bayer in particular missing a huge chance. Neuer coming up with a great stop after a corner kick as well when it was still 1-0. They by and were at the best behavior, honoring uh, Franz Beckenbauer, but I think there was a time when Hoffenheim looked like they could steal this one. Yeah, and I think, like you said, and on paper it looks like a it's like a comfortable, straightforward win for Bayern. And we'll get on to the things that Bayern did well in the set, uh, particularly Musiala. Um, but yeah, you're right that the game could have gone very, very differently had uh, Hoffenheim taken the chances uh, a bit better been a little bit more clinical particularly Max Bayer um, actually started quite early I mean you're referring to those few minutes in the second half where there were a few chances in succession but I think there was actually a I think even before Bayern took the lead there was an early counter attack led by uh, by Max Bayer and it ended up with uh, Andrei Khamaric firing a shot for you wildly over the bar um, thought you know, a little bit more composure Hoffenheim could have made a little bit more out of that Anton Stack also fired a shot over at some point. Um, so it wasn't completely plain sailing for Bayern. Um, and as much as Bayer, he's, he's been impressive this season, but as much as he has missed those chances in the second half, I think credit to, credit to Manuel Neuer as well. Uh, he spent a lot of time stood around in minus six, seven, eight. I don't know how cold it was down in Munich. It looked absolutely bitter. Uh, so I think credit to Manuel Neuer to, uh, to have spent so much, such long periods of the game doing very little in those temperatures to then yeah be in a in a in a physical situation where he can where he can react the way he did i mean particularly one on one against uh against Kramaric, uh, uh getting himself well to save that header from from max Bayer. i thought he really particularly that the uh, the the, uh, the half folly if the Bayer then glanced off the bar that that really had to be going in doesn't it yeah, the the one on one, right? Um, he does beat Neuer, but he, as he said, the ball comes off the bar. Um, Stefan, we talked about players, um, strikers in the bonus show last week, and who we think is going to score the most goals from the winter break onwards. Um, Harry Kane scores again. Um, that is the most. Um, he he equalizes a record by Lewandowski. Um, for the most goals at this point of the season and he can break the record for the first half of the season because they still have that extra game against Union Berlin, right? Um, how do we still feel confident that anyone is actually going to score more goals than Harry Kane in the second half of the season, Stefan? Well, if I'm not mistaken, we did make a point of saying, uh, you know, it's 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 more than likely not going to be anyone except Harry Kane. I mean, obviously Patrick Schick is probably the best one there. We did kind of hedge our bets to an extent. Um, but yeah, look, as we said in the kind of previous show, this is a game in which we thought Bayern were really going to be at their best for the most part. Um, you know, considering the context of the match, you know, obviously Franz Beckenbauer's uh, unfortunately passing. Um, and, you know... I do kind of feel like, despite all that, it felt like kind of typical Bayern. I think a lot of our subscribers actually talked a lot about this, actually, in the sense that, um, you know, they went through the motions, individual players stood out, Musial in particular in that game. Um, you know, obviously, Harry Kane needed just kind of half a chance on the edge of the box. He turns and he just kind of taps it or fires into the back of the net. That's kind of what we expect of him, um, and what we always have expected of him. Um, it's just it'll be just intriguing to see, you know, how they do in the, in the weeks to come because it it felt to me very much like a, you know, rather than Bayern stepping up to the occasion because of obviously what happened with Beckenbauer or looking refreshed after a long break, it felt like the same Bayern that we see we saw prior to the winter break, and I thought it was quite interesting that. You know, Hoffenheim similarly kind of, you know, as Matt just kind of went through all the kind of chances they had, um, you know, they did rack up a pretty decent XG of 1.45 in this game, um, which, you know, most teams don't tend to do. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of what we've seen of Hoffenheim this season. They had they actually have the third best XG from away games in the Bundesliga this season. So only Dortmund and Bayern have actually created more chances on the road. Um but the problem that Hoffenheim have is they also actually have the fifth worst defence on the road this season, or the sixth worst actually. 
Um, so they create a lot of chances and they concede a lot of chances. And maybe if they were up against, uh, I don't know, uh, a, you know, a Leipzig or a Stuttgart or Werder Bremen or whoever, a mid-table or even like a, another top six side, then they maybe would have grabbed a few goals themselves in this game. But against Bayern, if you're not if you're not capable of kind of putting those handful of chances away, you're still going to end up losing this game two or three nil because that's just the way Bayern play, especially at the Allianz Arena. Especially when you've got Musiala on that sort of form, he really he really was good. I mean, he's. And how often we say I heard somewhere actually he's already he's already made a hundred Bundesliga appearances I think for for Bayern or, or even more which um, I can't remember if we ever heard it but it certainly made me think twice a hundred surely not especially because um, the comparison that was made was with Christian Streich and Bundesliga games that he's coached and obviously is a lot more but it's not as many more as a sort as 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 many more as you perhaps think but Musiala has been. Um, yeah, obviously has been around for perhaps longer than we think, and despite his uh, still pretty young years, he was he was yeah he's still going to be fantastic on on Friday night. I think the, um, it was this hundred and one Bundesliga game, hundred and one Bundesliga games, and yeah. what, even if you then add other competitions as well, one hundred forty four. There you go. So I think that's yeah. I did, did I wouldn't have guessed it was that high, but there you and go. He's only twenty. But yeah, you know, um, those numbers are very similar to Thomas Müller's numbers at the same time. Here. You know, like all of a sudden he was very quickly at a lot of games. Because he Here. when he's fit, he always plays, right? And why not? When he's when he's pulling off uh, moments like that little, the, the turn that he pulls off in the box just before, before the first goal, um, it's absolutely rapid. It's a fantastic turn. I mean, right, perhaps Bauman should do better with the shot, but he's, he's hit it so powerfully. Um, yeah, really, really impressive. Yeah, well, he's all—he's already on his third Bayern coach, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Hansi he came through under Handy's Fleck, and then obviously Julian Nagelsmann, and now Thomas Tuchel. So, if you put it that way, it explains why he's already racked up so many games. Um, but yeah, I think he maybe more so than a lot of players really needed that break. Um, he had—he has looked a little jaded for some time now at Bayern because he was just so overplayed um, last season um, even going back to Hansi Flick actually where he just kind of popped up out of nowhere and suddenly became the answer to all of Bayern's problems um, but you know he's still averaging I think 0.85 goals and assists per 90 which is it's a little bit down on last season 0.9 but it's still really obviously incredibly impressive um, but you know, Mario, we kind of talked about this on that kind of show where we're talking about who could be the top goal scorers this in this in the Rook Runder. And, um, you know, when you look at that Bayern team, one thing we did note is that in attack, it's very much Harry Kane, Leroy Sané, and Jamal Luciala. Then there's a big drop-off in terms of output, in terms of players on form. And, you know, it's really important that Bayern have the likes of Kane bouncing back, Jamal Musiala bouncing back, and obviously Leroy Sani too, because if any of those three players really drop off or pick up a big injury, then, um, you know, Thomas Tuchel will have to work his magic with other forwards in his squad. I think that's those two goals, um, you know, because all of a sudden Jamal Musiala has on five goals and two assists in 11 games. That reads a lot better than it did previously, right? Which was like 10 games, three goals, and two assists. It's interesting how one game can really skew a statistic in a, in a better in a better way. Um, he has, and you're right, he did has looked a little jaded at times. Um, picked up a, a muscle injury on his first game. He missed two two games of that. And then he had a um, an upper thigh injury as well, right? Um, midway through through the Hinrunde. Um, and missed two games of that. And those are those are these tiny muscle injuries that you pick up when you overplayed. You know, it's nothing yeah, major. Particularly it's like, at that age, his body's still yeah, developing, I think. So, yeah, you're totally. going to get those little knocks. And it's I actually think it's quite interesting um, that Bayern Munich went on a training camp this week, Portugal. Um, obviously, they had the Friday game, right? And then they're not playing again until next Sunday. So they have a nice six-day window where they can, like six full days of training. Um, I mean, obviously, we could say they have the two travel days, but... In, in the sun and I think it's it's actually really interesting that they chose to do that and that can go a long way for the rest of the season to have that time off I mean when was the last time Harry Kane ever had that luxury probably never hey 
definitely. I think it's in, think it's in particularly important because they've got that extra um, English week, as the Germans mm-hmm. call it, when you when you have those midweek games yeah. uh, with the um, the postponed game against Union to come. So yeah, I think a good idea for them to get a bit of warm weather training in this week. And they're going for far days, I think, aren't they? To uh, is it Faro in the south yeah. of Portugal? Portugal so, Faro. Is it? I think it's four day. Is it four days? I think I it's a four day training time. camp. Yeah. Okay. Um, left that on on Sunday with with Eric Dyer, who's now on the squad. Curious to see if there's going to be another player in the plane when they come back. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. I think Bayern Munich are once again um, leaving the time with transfer decisions. Um, there's also a big Max Eber story coming. But guys, um, we opted that we're going to discuss Max Eber and his role at the club at as part of a full bonus show later this week so um, if you are not a subscriber sorry <laughs> this is going to be for subscribers only um, but we, we want to discuss that in great length because there's a lot to that story right Stefan? There absolutely is and we decided we discovered that when you and Matt tried to explain what Max Averill's new job was and 15 minutes later you were none the wiser so we figured if anything deserves its own 40 minute show uh, it is that. No, Stefan, you were none the wiser. I thought we described it pretty well, so you were none the wiser. I was. But you, well, okay. look, if, if you two explained it for 15 minutes <laughs> and I still had no idea, that's on you guys, okay? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> we're, one, we're going to do uh, one, our best one later thing this week. On, one extra thing on Bayard before we move on. Um, I've, I've mentioned it in my in my new newsletter this week, um, so it's slightly like fan culture related. There's a bit of a throwaway comment that Thomas Tuchel made at full time regarding the atmosphere. Did you two pick up on that? No, um, I did see that there was a banner about the multi-club organization that Bayern is becoming. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's that. I mean, Tuchel's comments weren't related, weren't, weren't on, weren't related to that. And there is that, though. That's also, uh, you can read about that in the newsletter as well. Bayern's uh, you know, tentative steps into multi-club ownership. Tentative? Uh, I mean, they've no, already it's... signed those contracts and it's all done. I wrote an article on that for Transfermarkt like a few months yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, well, there's been some quite there's been some criticism about that. But what, no, what Tuchel was referring to was um, the continued anti-DFL investor protest. Was in, it, it wasn't across the whole country on this match day, but Bayern Munich's fans did repeat the 12-minute atmosphere boycott at the start of the game, um, which led Thomas Tuchel, I think, speaking to the zone and full time to say to to say that um, I think quotes. Uh, no idea, something about the DFL, investor, whatever. And then he said, you know, maybe it's about time we had a bit more enthusiasm with these home games. And I think that's, um, I just think it's a dangerous game for ah, football, co- well, for football coaches to play. Für die scheiß Stimmung seid ihr doch selber verantwortlich, Matt. I think it is, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I've always thought that professional football coaches, professional football players, indeed anyone who sort of makes their living from professional football should be a bit more cautious before having to go at fan protests, given that it's the fans that are paying to be there and watch their club, literally their club. It's not Thomas Tuchel's club. So I think, uh, yeah, Thomas Tuchel would probably be well advised to, yeah, maybe inform himself a little bit more about what the protests are about. I'm sure the ultras would be happy to explain it to him. Then that's uh, a very good point. It it is. I mean, uh, this is a, this is an old story at Bayern Munich, the club, and uh, the discontent with the atmosphere at the stadium. Um, I mean, my my flippant argument is: if you want want to have a good atmosphere in a stadium, Munich, there there is another club that you can go to. It's loud and rowdy. Um, but leave it at that. <laughs> get a little digs in while you can, man. <laughs> just say, yeah, I mean, this is an age-old story. As I just said, Oli Hearn has shouted out yeah. that what I just shouted out on the podcast once at a um, general general assembly, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the fans are responsible for the uh, shit atmosphere themselves, and this is a quote. So, <laughs> I thought it worth mentioning just because there was that specific reference to the DFL protest. Thomas Tuchel was clearly clearly aware that there was a protest and what it was yeah. about. And then to dismiss it like that, uh, particularly with literally his, uh, his phraseology was um, something investors, whatever. And I thought, no, it's not. 
not a particularly good yeah, one. Yeah, but you know, this is also a head coach um, who was previously coached for PSG and Chelsea. So, you know, what do you expect? Definitely. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't want to dwell too much on it because we have a lot to cover today. Um, this could be um, another one that we can maybe uh, explore in, in extra content because I think there's a lot there. Uh, Matt, Dortmund, you were there. It was cold. Um, it wasn't also something that was heartwarming for long periods of time. I think the best thing about this game from a Dortmund perspective, okay, two things maybe, is the result and the fact that Jaden Sancho provided us an assist to Mark Royce. The game the itself, result, yeah, the result was good. Wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, like you said, the result, good. Jaden Sancho's return from a Dortmund perspective, good. I would add to that Jamie uh, Jamie Vinyl Gittens, one of his best performances, at least as a starter. Um, he's been he's been starting the starting eleven increasingly regularly um, in the run up to Christmas, and this was his best start, uh, in my opinion. Really, really powerful dribble to to set up the first goal. Really impressive. Um, and Ian Matson, uh, obviously newly signed on loan from Chelsea, starting at left back and slipped into that into that role as if he'd as if he'd been playing for Borussia Dortmund for five years. Yeah. I um, thought he was good. Re- really, really solid addition. Um actually thought that Dortmund could have made and I would have liked to have seen them make more of Martin on the left. I think he actually hinted at showing more of what Dortmund what I think they would what I think they need, what what would do them good. Uh one particular moment sticks in my mind I noticed at the time. Um Marcel Sabitzer picks up the ball in midfield and uh, Martin makes the run down the left. Um, and yeah, they, they, it's, a, it's a fairly risky pass, I suppose, but Sabitzer can attempt that through ball in between you know, centre-back and full-back to play in Martin, who's running in there. But rather than going for that, he actually puts his foot on the ball and with his hands physically beckons to Martin to come back. And I just thought, once again, it took the, all the pace out of... Dortmund, there wasn't any in it anyway and there's Martin try, trying to inject a bit trying to uh, you know, do something with the game and uh, Sabitzer sort of dragged him back I thought that was quite quite yeah quite telling quite frustrating but very much summed up how Borussia Dortmund played um, I think I wrote as much in the in those like, other full time points that yeah ultimately the 3-0 win to start off the year away at Darmstadt uh, yeah it looks fantastic and it's three welcome points and it yeah, it, it looked particularly good given that um, given that um, RB Leipzig uh, lost, so they've, they've closed the gap there as well. And Stuttgart too, right? Stuttgart um, too, um, but it wasn't. It really wasn't good. Um, it was very much of the same. It was slow. It was sloppy. There was no idea. Apart from Jamie Bynum Gittens setting up that goal for Julian Brandt, there were no other accents being put on the game by any by, by any Dortmund players. If you can look at another positive second half, it's that Edin Terzic's substitutions have once again had a desired effect, and that in itself is obviously a good thing. Um, we've seen that uh, lo- on loads of occasions now from from Edin Terzic, um, and he's 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 made no bones about it himself. He, he he makes a point most weeks of saying how yeah we have a squad and we like having these impact players off the bench, and um, one of them is Yusuf Makoku. Does that a lot? He did it again. I was going to ask you about him. I'm glad you're bringing it up. Yeah, well, he was he was impressive. It's on this. Um, he he scored a good goal. Although the the game was over by that point, but he's 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 done what he's done on so many occasions. And then, yeah, um, it it says a lot and speaks for Tezic's substitutions that is Marco Voice and Jaden Sancho who have combined for for the second goal. That was the most important goal, probably really finished the game off. But yeah, whether impact subs. Constantly, week after week, is a sustainable, sustainable way forward, long term. Uh, I have, I have my doubts, and I think that we have to see improvement in lots of other areas. Stefan, we talked about strikers um, and how they might perform for the second half of the season, and neither one of us in this podcast mentioned Niklas Vilkuk. Um, and I thought that he. He had again another performance where I'm like, why is Mukuku sitting on the bench? Um, and I, it, Matt, don't worry, you, you can probably you can probably add to this as well. But I I wonder when the point comes where, isn't it more useful to play Mukuku in this lineup uh, rather than having him always come off the bench, 
when your expensive center forward up front isn't delivering? Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a very fair point. It's not just one expensive forward, it's two, actually, if you include Sebastian Haller, of course. Um, you know, we also have to contextualize Haller's situation, and that's by no means his fault, why maybe he's not up to speed. Um, but, you know, and, and this is the kind of paradoxical thing, and, you know, Matt's absolutely right that the substitutions did well, but for every good substitution, there's kind of usually a baffling selection in the first place from Terzic, and look, this was a pretty easy start to the season for Dortmund. We talked about it in the in the previous show, uh, Darmstadt at home have been pretty dreadful this year. Um, it's a game that Dortmund should win comfortably 99 out of 100 times, and despite that, there's still that Gregor Kobel wonder save at 1-0, and you have to kind of wonder. I mean, I don't know if you call it a wonder save or, or just sheer luck. Maybe. Oh, no, 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 I think he spread himself really well. Yeah, that is a fantastic stop. I, yeah, goalkeeper's yeah. union defending him. He, he, he the <laughs> fact that he managed to like, well, because when you look at the slow mo, he he spreads his legs right, uh, and that is really what makes mm. it so difficult. That against the run of play, with the movement going the other way, he's he recognizes where it's gonna go. Um, yeah, uh, that's a fantastic. It's, it's definitely spot. up there with the save that Neuer makes from Max oh, Bayern in the so game. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is, it, well, uh, yeah, exactly. And the thing is that, like, you take that, um, you then take the Makuku goal in particular as well, which is a fantastic individual moment. Maybe say the same about Julian Brandt's goal, which is I don't know if that's just also sheer luck or just incredible finesse. But you know, I said we were talking about this at the weekend, and all still scratch our heads over his Dortmund performance. And I think the way I described it was that these days under Terzic, Dortmund are like ninety percent vibes, ten percent just hoping that the good players do something to win the game. And it still, still kind of felt like that in this game. And I thought actually Matt's comment about the beats there and Matson there was really interesting because I have often thought at times this season that different pockets of this team want to play in different ways. Some want to play faster, some want to play slower, um, some want to play a high line, some want to play a deep line, and it kind of chimes with this kind of criticism we have of Terzic that it doesn't really feel there's any coherent plan, it doesn't feel like everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet in the way that you know Leverkusen are, uh, or Frankfurt are, um, and that's perhaps a perfect example. I mean, yeah, of course, Madsen's a new player. Maybe he's not used to the way things are supposed to be done. So you, you kind of give the... Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> perhaps that's the way to look at it. But um, I, I and, and this this is just the overall feeling that I always get when I watch Dortmund. It's a team of individuals. There's no cohesive system that every single player is playing to. Sabitzer's played one way. Emery Chan's played one way. Makuku comes on and does something completely different from what Phil Krug's been doing for the last, what, 70 or 80 minutes. And at no point does it feel like Terzic is in control of any of that. But but they won, and I'm sure if any Dortmund fan is still listening to this after we just tore them apart for winning 3-0, uh, she'd probably it, it, say... It, but it really does put you in a difficult position. I mean, I mean all of us as journalists are in that position in the mix zone after the game where... I think we spoke to uh, Gregor Kobel, we spoke to Sebastian Kale, Spartan director, and then they, they know as well, particularly Kale, it's very difficult to ask him critical questions, slagging off the performance, when he's literally just, he's just overseen a 3 0 win. Um, it is difficult to criticise, but I think, yeah, I think we have to. We've seen it. On so, well, I think so many you have occasions. to put it into context, right? It's a, it's a good 3 0 win against an opponent that okay. um, is a the worst in the Bundesliga and for large, large parts of that game it wasn't good it wasn't a good performance and I was surprised at one just before half time sat next to um, a colleague in the press box he he, he pointed out that, oh Darmstadt have, uh, he's, he's quite surprised that Darmstadt have had 55% possession I was surprised too but only because I thought that value was low <laughs> that was such had been Darmstadt's uh, control of the ball. I, I thought they would have had much more than fifty-five percent possession. Um, admittedly, they didn't really do much with it, but that's why they're Darmstadt on the bottom of the league. Um, and I mean, of course, if you're one of the top teams, you have you have one of the best goalkeepers, maybe the best goalkeeper in the league, right? In Kobel. <laughs> so, of course, you you hope that he produces a stop like that. But that's that may, him making that save isn't a given. <laughs> And when it does, they were also slightly one, fortunate. One, right? um, I think it was also at also at one nil, but just before half time, um, when 
is it Tim Skarker? I think sends a half volley <laughs> over the um, over the bar. Uh, quite uh, later on in the first half. Again, it's it's, it's not the easiest <laughs> chance to take, but you really would think you know, if he, he hits the target with that, I, I, I don't think Copel saves it, and yeah, then then damage that I've got their goal. Um, yes, not not overly convincing from from Dortmund. Um, you mentioned Nicholas Fulkrug before. There was one bizarre moment which I, I need to mention. Play was interrupted very briefly in the second half when a pitch invader ran to the pitch, um, just on his own from the from the Darmstadt section. And, and you know you've seen this before when people want to get a selfie with Ronaldo or Messi or whoever. Uh, he wanted a selfie with Nicholas Fulkrug, which uh, I thought was a a strange choice. And I really hope it's worth the ban that he's going to get. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> lifelong obsession with. With, uh, <laughs> Germany's most mis- uh, most famous missing tooth. Um... <laughs> okay, well, guys, we need to wrap up the Dortmund discussion uh, and move on to Leverkusen. Um, this uh, episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. With the playoffs in full swing and the NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered with all the up to second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get into the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Better line where the game starts. They played on what I call the pitch where my where lots of championship dreams go to die in Augsburg. Um, and with that, I mean really just Borussia Dortmund dropping needless points almost every year. Um, it looked like for a very long time that despite Leverkusen's dominance in this game, they will drop two points here. And we all know how tight the championship race is. We all know the pace that Bayern Munich and Leverkusen are setting at the top of the table. It's breathless. Um, it, it's really, really amazing stuff when you think about it. Um, so dropping two points in Augsburg is really something you cannot afford right now. Um, and it looked like they would until Alejandro Grimaldo. And this is a stunning goal. What was it? 92nd, 93rd minute? Um, very, very late um, scores the winner. And that's you know, I was thinking up, was it Palacios? Sorry, of course. Ezequiel Palacios. Yeah, short uh, it, Latinos. It, I apologize. Mother had about long-range efforts in the game, which were also yeah. by, by, by Darwin but you, Palacios with the winner. You know, it is the sort of performance where I think um, that is the sort of game that Bayern Munich usually wins and, you know, gets those points regardless of not having a good performance. And um, they're very good at this. The fact that Leverkusen are now winning those games as well, Stefan makes me think that this is a real. This is for real. Yeah, it was an incredible performance. I mean, not only the fact that they had so many chances. I mean, you know, Matt mentioned the fact that Grimaldo he smacks the ball off the crossbar as well. I think thirty minutes into the game, with, and he's been so incredible this season. Like, just take a minute to appreciate that he's been not just in terms of like your classic wing-back, but he scores goals, he takes free kicks, he moves into midfield, he creates chances. He's just been this... He's been as good on the left wing as Frimpong has been for a number of seasons on the right wing, in my opinion, um, and has added a whole new layer to that kind of Leverkusen attack. And You know, it's 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 kind of what we've come to expect from Leverkusen now. It's a team performance that they don't change things at all. They don't panic. They keep going through the... You know, they keep going through the methods and they just keep breaking teams down. And I mean, I know Augsburg had a few half chances when they kind of tried to break and um but you know, if you look at the stats from this game, they're really quite incredible. Augsburg didn't have a single shot on target and only had two off target. Um their XG was zero point one three, uh possession thirty four percent. And this is them at home. And you're absolutely right. This That's the kind of performances we expect from a classic Bayern result. Uh, you know, Bayern at the top of the game, uh, they go with these small teams and absolutely dominate. And everyone around Europe complains about how boring the Bundesliga is. Um, but 
It wasn't, and, and you know, it was it was just incredible. And as you said, you know, for the sake of the title race, it was impressive. Um, but no, I, 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 I'm just, I'm just really impressed with Leverkusen. I'm impressed with the way they play, the tactics. You know, we just talked about Dortmund and how it's all kind of vibes, and they just kind of make it up from one week to the next. But you can tell that Leverkusen, and and, and very much the kind of Spanish um, school of thought in terms of coaching and style of football is we're going to keep doing this the way we do it, no matter what. And you know, so far. So far, it's worked wonders for them. That's actually what impressed me the most about um, this result is that there never was a sense of panic in this match. They, they, they tightened the screw <laughs> towards the end of the game because they're like, oh, uh, we we do need a goal here to win this, right? Obviously, but um, you never had the sense that they were going to um, exit their match plan, which was keep possession, keep crossing the ball, find spaces, uh, try to break down the opponent, do it methodically. Um, you know, a lot of teams um, that are in this situation resort to the high ball into the box, right, repeatedly. They didn't. They kept the ball on the ground, which I thought, you know, did then provide them the the actual opportunity to score the, the winner. And I think that is that speaks for um, Javi Alonso and the discipline that he has installed in this team. And you know, really make sure that the players stick to the principles even when things are very, very difficult. And that, again, is for me uh, a sign that, you know, they know what they're doing. And I think if you know what you're doing as a player and you have the confidence to do that, after the 90th minute when he's still looking for a winner, that that speaks volume for me. Um, Matt, do you have anything to add to this? Um, no, maybe there's a couple of uh, devil's advocate points, really, and uh, to, to criticise Leverkusen a bit. And uh, I, I, I accept I really am sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Yeah, nitpicking. Um, but Augsburg did have chances. Um, I forget who it was. He was flagged, uh, flagged just offside. Um, and there was also the chance where, again, sorry to any any massive Augsburg fans listening, the name escapes me. He's he's rounded, um, Lucas Fadetsky, and um, not yeah, I think he's put his shot over the uh, over the bar. There were chances there. Another one that sticks in my one that I've noted down was when there was Demirovic again, but with another chance in the first half, I think when he's. He's latched onto a long ball, which all three Leverkusen defenders have sort of stood there and allowed to bounce. And Demirovic has still been able to bring it down, make a bit yeah, of space. Yeah, Demirovic was actually he, twice, first yeah, and put, second half. Yeah, he puts his shot wide. Um, yeah, maybe you can explain that with the fact that Leverkusen's first choice back three were missing. Obviously, you've got Kusunu and Tapsoba at the Africa Cup of Nations, and Jonathan Tarr didn't feature. Um, do you know the reason for that? Was he injured, pick up a knock? What was the reason behind that? There was a bunch of people with knocks. I mean, Wirtz didn't start either, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, but I don't have the actual reason for it. Either way, they got away with it. So perhaps you can understand that they're going to, you know, let let the odd chance through when it's not the first, not not that that first choice back three. But um, no, it, it perhaps that is nitpicking. Uh, the way they persevered with it, as, as Stefan was saying, was extremely Bayern like. Got the headline in Kicker magazine today, here, as in Bayer, as in Bayern. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is take the N off the end. It's the same. It's a, it's the same word, and they did look like Bayern. Uh, when that goal went in, I was well, watching it in the in the press room uh, in Darmstadt, uh, just ahead of ahead of kickoff uh, in that game, and there are a few. Um, well, it wasn't just other journalists who were all sort of looking at each other, sort of nodding. Yeah, that was like watching Bayern, wasn't it? Uh, there were also a few members of Borussia Dortmund's like media team, and you could tell they were thinking the same thing as well. Um, so yeah, yeah really, just a- sort of ominous form. Just to jump in quickly, Matt, um, Ta was rested because he's on four yellow cards. So if he'd picked up a yellow card in this game, he would ah, have this missed the Leipzig game. They've got Leipzig, RB next yeah. week, haven't they? Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. There we go. A massive so, game. Massive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I completely agree with Matt. Like any, you can turn this, any, any, you know, there's a, there's a situation in which this game does kind of turn on its head. Augsburg get a last minute or late goal or something on the break and um, ruin Leverkusen's um, dreams and 
there's also the wider context as well as that this was all with Jonathan, uh, not Jonathan Tassoy, um, Boniface on the injury bench, oh. you know. They've just lost their star striker to an injury. It looks like he's going to be out till April, I think. I can't believe how much uh, bad luck that is. I mean, it was, it was obviously bad enough for Leverkusen losing him for a month. As much as it was a great opportunity for Boniface to go and play for Nigeria, but losing him for a month was bad enough. But now to lose him for even longer, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought Patrick Schick looked a bit looked a bit rusty as well. I think he missed a one-on-one. Yeah, mm, yeah so. he did. Um, but all, all I was going to add to that was that you know, Leverkusen failing to score and potentially even losing to Augsburg the game after they lose Boniface, suddenly people start to panic because they've lost a star striker and they can't score a goal. Um, so, you know, it's 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 these little fine edges that, you know, decide football games and as a result, the consequences um, ripple throughout the season. And that's kind of why we obviously love the sport so much. But it'd be really interesting to see how they do against Leipzig because... I'm sure we'll talk about them later in the show, but I actually thought Leipzig looked okay against Frankfurt despite the result, and I think it's still going to be a really tough match. Actually, let's move to that. That's a great transition um, because that's next on, on the almost, agenda almost here. almost as if we planned it in advance, Manu. It's, uh, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you're right, next Saturday, um, Leipzig against Leverkusen is the scheduled uh, top spiel and you know what it, it is. Um, you know, a glance at the table um, tells you it's it's first against fourth. Um, I thought Leipzig were going to win their game against Frankfurt. They did not, um, which is really, really impressive for Frankfurt. And I think Frankfurt did really well there. Um, away as well, right? Um, that assist to Ansgar Knauf uh, by Nkuku Wow, that's incredible. Uh, just slices open that entire Leipzig uh, backline. And then Leipzig just don't find a way to score. Um, you know, once again, Frankfurt very disciplined. Um, and Stefan, you wanted to talk about this game in particular because I think you identified a few things that you, you thought were interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, I wanted to talk about it because I watched it um, and <laughs> I might as well make, make use of that. Um, but... Yeah, it was an interesting game. I think I described it, um, you know, to subscribers in our live chat on Substack is, you know, the definition of a smash and grab because it was Frankfurt's only shot on target for the entire match. And they then obviously just bunkered down and waited uh, and waited and waited, defended, sometimes heroically, sometimes fortunately. Um, and much like... Um, well, I don't know. Actually, much like maybe the Leverkusen game where, you know, they, they huffed and puff and then they've, you know, well, actually the opposite, I suppose, where we said, you know, these things could be side of the knife edge that Leverkusen got the breakthrough and, and Leipzig just didn't. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like if you play this game in our 99 times, Leipzig probably win it 2 or 3 nil. to be perfectly honest with you. Um, the Frankfurt goal was incredible and Kunku will probably never recreate another assist like that for the rest of his career. It was... I'm trying to think of who it reminded me of. Maybe like really old-fashioned, like Man United era, David Beckham perhaps. Maybe Matt can maybe think um, of a, a moment where it's just the way he manages it to curl it around the entire defence and pull everyone out of position. Um, and also Canal's quite happy to tap at home. Um, but I don't. the two things that really stood out to me in this game um, where, you know, there was... For Frankfurt, there was Mario Goza, who I've actually rolled my newsletter on this week because I was just really impressed with the way he just kind of floats through these games. And, you know, we all know what Goza can do. You know, attacking sense, he's a very tidy player, he's a very technical player. But over the course of the last kind of year, and especially this season under Top Bowler, he's, he's turned into more of a defensive player, actually. And kind of highlight it in my newsletter, but his defensive stats are actually quite impressive, you know, in terms of he knows how to intercept, he knows how to block, uh, he knows how to get in the way of other playmakers and alongside Larson, who's obviously a very, very young player who's, you know, full of energy, but perhaps lacks experience to know where to stand and know how to press properly, you know, how to counterattack and things, they make quite a good partnership and, you know, 
amongst the frustration of that entire Leipzig team, I found it quite nice just watching Goza almost just dance through them. Never seemed to put a foot wrong. Never seemed to be pressured on the ball. Uh, and that was really nice. On the flip side, you then had his opposite number, Xavi Simmons, who was like a man possessed trying to turn his game around. And I know we've mentioned it before, but it's just really quite incredible how quickly he has just grabbed this Leipzig team by the scruff of the neck and said, I'm in charge now, and this is my team, and you're all going to do what I tell you. And not, 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 not in an aggressive way, but just because of his sheer talent. And that obviously works really well when it works, but in games like this, Leipzig sometimes look a little bit like a one-team or a, you know, a one-trick pony where they have a lot of attacking players in Openda and Sesco, um, and they have a lot of runners in, you know, your Campos and your Schlagers and your Baumgartners, and obviously both fullbacks are just bombing down each wing. But that entire system is relied on Xavi Simmons kind of threading that needle, and if you can kind of put a man on him or or he has an off game, the whole system kind of begins to break down. Yeah, yeah I thought it was interesting that um, the whole Benjamin Sesko, uh, Louis Penda like. Um, do up front didn't have this the impact that I think you need to expect right um, and I think that is if you have an XG of the XG was 2.74 to uh, let me get pull up the number again 2.74 to uh, 0.78 in um, in Leipzig's favor uh, and you know, we highlighted Openda as one of those players that could score a lot of goals um, from here on out. And um, the fact that that partnership didn't quite work is an interesting one. I mean, obviously, we're going to see how how it's going to differ next week um, against Leverkusen. And I think, you know, that is such a massive, massive game for Leipzig now because you sense that... Um, they are going to be the victims here if if Dortmund do pull their things together and uh, maybe roll up the table and you know they're going to look over their shoulder. I mean, Matt, uh, if Le- Leipzig lose the game next week and if Dortmund win theirs, they're both on thirty three points. Yeah, I think um, RB under Michael Rose are still very much a work in progress. Perhaps they need to be expected given the amount of changes in the summer. Um, it works on occasion. Uh, Luis Hopenda has had a very good first half of the season, but he was yeah he was at fault with his profligacy against Frankfurt. Three or five really good chances, a couple of them really well saved by Kevin Trapp. Actually, who was I think um, yeah probably after Mario Götze, um, Frankfurt's best player. Um, so yeah, they're gonna they're gonna need to be a bit more a bit more clinical in front of goal, um, breaking down defenses. Um, is perhaps an issue for them as well when you know when faced with a, a Frankfurt team who's just that's increasingly deep. Um, yeah, RB didn't necessarily have the the tools to to unlock them. Um, perhaps in the way in previous years you might have seen someone like uh, Christopher Nkunku or Emil Forsberg um, having the tools to break down those defenses. Danny Olmo is one who still can. Obviously, he he made his return in the second. Um, probably didn't. Probably wasn't quite fit enough or have enough time to really influence the game. But uh, he he he'll be vital for them going forward as long as he can stay fit. And there's another interesting stat which I came across, and this is this concerns um, RB coming from behind in games. It, this was the the fifth time this season where they've 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 fallen behind, um, and it led to their fourth defeat uh, in those situations. Uh, the one time they have come from behind was quite early in the season when they came back, I think, away at Stuttgart and won, won 5 1. Um, that must be match day two or three or something. Uh, so, certainly before Stuttgart re- really got uh, re- yeah, really got rolling. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, quite three quite clear issues there for Marco Rosa to sort out. Uh, yeah, for coming, coming from behind, efficiency in front of goal and uh, breaking down deep line defences. Um, that stat about not coming back is an interesting one because I think that is the sort of stat that comes about when you have a huge turnover in your squad and when you ha- when you lose several experienced players um, because they have so much talent. But, you know, falling behind and still having that sort of 
calmness that you can overturn a result based on your talent. I think that's something that develops um, with it comes with experience. And I kind of just sense um, that that's maybe something that the side is still missing. And I mean, maybe naturally so because they they are in this transition phase, right? Um, but I think that is really, really interesting that maybe that that is a sign of immaturity, Stefan. Yeah, yeah, immaturity or just simply, you know, as Matt said, a team in progress, you know, Marco Rosa has been there for a long enough time, but due to the nature of Leipzig and their business model, uh, every six months, he, it's almost like he has to start again. Um, and, you know, he knew exactly what that meant when he took the job, so you can only have so much sympathy for him. But I think, you know, that kind of work in progress or the fact that they aren't quite clicking together was perfectly illustrated through the way they were penned on Sesco really kind of struggled to play off one another. There's, a, there's definitely a moment, and uh, I think it was the first half, where Pendas kind of runs down the right-hand side of the box and he cuts it back to Sesco as a counter-attack and instead of just kind of finessing it to him, he just fires it right at Sesco and Sesco completely mishits it because he wasn't expecting it that hard. And, you know, they're both very different types of players. Openda, to me, strikes me as a player who's all about power. He's very physical. He wants to tussle with the central defender and just kind of smash that ball as hard as he can into the back of the net. Sesco, far more of a kind of technical player. He likes to turn defenders. He likes to play off players. And, you know, in time, that kind of yin and yang could work perfectly well. But this is a game where it didn't work at all. And maybe that's because the two of them are still finding their feet. Or maybe it's a case of, you know, this team just looking a little jaded after winter break. And, you know, like I said, we were talking about Leverkusen. I don't want to be too harsh on Leipzig here because I feel like if this was maybe the third or fourth game after winter break, they'd probably win this quite comfortably. Well, not comfortably, but as comfortably as you'd expect them to be Frankfurt. Um, but because of the first game back, because of the kind of sucker punch nature of the, of the goal and the fact they're up against a Frankfurt side who, you know, although they're missing quite a lot of players defensively, they're pretty well set. Um, and they were more or less ready to just kind of sit back and let Kevin Trapp pull off miracles between the posts that everything just kind of conspired against Leipzig in this game. And they've now got a difficult run. I think they've got I think they've got Leverkusen. Um, they've got someone else who's quite difficult. And then they have Union Berlin. Uh, if you give me a moment, I could probably tell you quite quickly. Um, in the meantime, though, we can definitely go through uh, Eintracht Frankfurt's next few fixtures, which are decidedly easier, at least on paper. Um, Darmstadt, okay, Derby, admittedly, but uh, you would you would expect Frankfurt to win that. Uh, Mainz, Köln, Mainz, Dart, yeah, okay, interesting. Maybe you have to speak to some people in Hessen to see to what extent these those two fixtures. Really? It's a derby for Mainz, and it's definitely a derby for Darmstadt. Their fans made that quite clear against Dortmund, and they were looking forward to the to, to the game against uh, against Frankfurt, uh, uh, Köln, and then uh, uh, Bochum. Um, so yeah, uh, they've made you know, good signings too. I think in uh, particularly in Sasha Kalajic and potentially in Donny Van der Beek. Um, although also had a diff- difficult difficult couple of years uh, at United, not the only one. I think as we've discussed. Um, so yeah, um, interesting to see how they can build on this now because they've got a decent run of fixtures coming up. And I'm league. glad you pointed that out oh, because they're only points six points off. behind Leipzig themselves. Points off so far, yeah. Um, yeah. Just to jump in now, there guys, uh, Leipzig have Leverkusen, Stuttgart, Union Berlin, and then away to Augsburg before they then play the first leg of the Real Madrid game. Well, the Real Madrid, Tigers Real Madrid. So... I mean, Augsburg away is never really an easy tie, but that's probably the... I mean, obviously Union Berlin aren't quite the monsters that they were in previous years, but they are kind of getting back on their feet. Um, so, yeah, difficult time for Marco Rosa. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what happens when you're at the top. You have to kind of keep... You have to kind of get results in these big games. Difficult time for the ticket office as well, I think, at uh, RB Leipzig. Um, just looking at the official... The official attendance was... Apparently forty five thousand eight hundred and sixty seven, which would make the ground ninety seven point five percent full. Now, anyone who took even just a cursory glance at the TV at any point in that game can see that that is absolutely a lie. Um, so 
I don't know. They told us that they told us that Leipzig was a football mad city, desperate for top level football. Well, don't know. Where are all these people then? Oh, I don't know. It did look for. It obviously you didn't. It it did <laughs> not. It's absolutely I'm looking at the pictures. There were some empty seats, but it didn't like, also there's a difference between tickets sold and uh people attending. Yeah, clear clearly. Also, uh I think it was minus eight leading up to that game. Uh in Saxony is obviously a place where it gets very, very cold. Berlin as well, obviously is famous for its cold. But yeah, it's obviously a fair point, Matt. It's something that obviously rival friends throw at the club all the time. Um but there's, there's like, there, I think, I think every football fan probably reaches a point when their season take a hold and they think, nah, I'm just gonna sit home and watch conference today. I think. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was definitely one of them. Um, you know, we're out of time. Uh, I just really quickly wanted to say a couple of things about the uh, Stuttgart Gladbach game because I thought it was a fascinating fixture. I'm gonna keep this brief so we can wrap this up. Um, one thing that I really noticed while I watched this. <laughs> this game on my stationary bike on Sunday morning um, was that it's really fascinating for me how Gladbach always do really well against teams that love possession. Um, and Stuttgart is a team that under um, Sebastian Hürdes does love to have the ball. They had the ball a lot. But it's such a... Whenever Gladbach do play well against these big... They always do play well against these big teams, I think, because they just don't want to have the ball. They're really, really good whenever they can counter-attack really quickly. And they did this in fantastic fashion and in quick succession against Stuttgart to start the match. Stuttgart then almost did come back before conceding a third. Um, I just wanted to point that out that I thought that was a really interesting um, interesting thing that we need to keep an eye on. Guys, Gladbach slowly but surely creeping up there. Very slowly quite surely. Uh, I was going to mention Robert Nicolas, the goalkeeper is getting a uh... yeah, making making quite a name for himself this season. I think he's been quite, quite quietly impressive. Mm. They've actually, um, you're absolutely right, man. They they obviously had that really difficult start to the season where they um, went their first five games without winning. Then they picked up a really important 3 1 win at Bochum. And since then, they've actually been the seventh best team in the Bundesliga in terms of form, uh, which is really quite surprising if you think about it. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, and then and we all know that Gerardo Sion is a good coach. Um, but the only thing, something that did make me laugh this uh, when I saw uh, this today when I was kind of going through the news was that um, a kind of perennial, never-ending, story Neuhaus rumor mill is back into full action. And I was someone, someone was asking me about their work today, and I was like, it feels like every time Gladback get back on their feet, Flory Neuhaus. I mean, look, before I start making accusations, by no means am I suggesting that he's the source of these stories, but it seems as though every time they suddenly start to look half decent, uh, some somewhere on the internet, someone pushes a button and the internet is just awash with Florian Neuhaus transfer stories. Yeah. No, uh, absolutely. I think he's the the never-ending transfer story. It's kind of like how Julian Brandt for uh, what feels like a decade now was linked to Arsenal. <laughs> um, yeah I don't know this is for the transfer show and I think that's a really good place to wrap up this show um, which is as always brought to you by Bet Online. Um, guys this was great um, Matt welcome full time now uh, it's really great to have you on board just want to reiterate that I'm really looking forward to your first newsletter first full official newsletter uh, midweek newsletter of course because you've written tons on games so Really looking forward to that. And yeah, Stefan's newsletter will be out. He, as he mentioned, it will be on Götze, right, Stefan? Yes. Um, and then I don't know yet what I'm going to write about. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll probably think about it today and then have announce it later on uh, or it will just be out. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. Sign up for the extra content if you haven't yet. And we'll be back soon with more. Until then, auf Wiedersehen.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcast. Yes.